Right. Uh, Isaiah 56. Has everybody found their way to Isaiah 56? Let's stand for the reading of God's Word tonight, those that are able to do so. Isaiah 56, look with me at verse number 1. The Bible says, Thus saith the Lord, Keep ye judgment and do justice. For my salvation is near to come, and my righteousness to be revealed. Blessed is the man that doeth this, and the son of man that layeth hold on it, that keepeth the Sabbath from polluting it, and keeping his hand from doing any evil. Look at verse 3. Neither let the son of the stranger that hath joined himself to the Lord speak, saying, The Lord hath utterly uh, separated me from his people. Neither let the eunuch say, Behold, I am a dry tree. Well, the invitation into the kingdom of God is for everyone. We see that in verse 3. It's for the eunuch and the stranger. The title of the Bible study, again, we'll pick up where we left off two weeks ago, is Come One, Come All. Let's pray tonight. Lord, help us as we endeavor to study the Bible and understand the Bible. Lord, I pray that we would leave here this, this evening uh, with a cup that's full and overflowing of truth. And Lord, truth not, that not only uh, enters our ears and into our brains, but also, Lord, uh, goes down into our hearts. And Lord God, as I prayed earlier today, I, I don't want to be the only one that is speaking or ministering or in the room that is spirit-filled. Lord, I pray each one of us would be. And Lord, may uh, your spirit take the truths and impress them on our hearts. Help all of us, Lord, to love you more and to walk in truth. Guide us now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, before I get into the Bible study, I just wanted to say uh, this to each of you. This is a pretty good crowd for a Wednesday evening. It's one of our better crowds for a Wednesday evening. Uh, our numbers have been up on Sunday evenings and Wednesday evenings lately. And to those of you who are coming to those services, uh, maybe you're new, new in coming to those services, let me just say thank you. Uh, I do believe that the strength of a church is not found in how many people show up on Sunday morning, but how many people show up on Sunday evening and Wednesday evening. And as those crowds get stronger, that is evidence of a healthier church, and uh, that is the core of the church. I know there's a handful of you here that don't come on Sunday morning. You are only able to come on a Sunday evening or Wednesday evening, and I'm grateful anytime anyone comes to a service. But to those of you that are faithful to attend all three of those services, or as many of them as you can, let me just say how grateful I am. You understand that churches grow when two things within the church body are achieved. Unity and consistency. Unity and consistency. You grow personally when you learn unity with the Lord and consistency in the daily schedule that pleases God. And we want a church body that is unified and consistent. And how do you get a church body to be consistent? Well, the sum of the parts need to be consistent for the whole to be consistent. So you be in your place. Just count on being where you're supposed to be week in and week out. And watch as God blesses. I'm thankful to see the giving this year has been stronger than uh, some years past. The attendance Sunday evening, Wednesday evening is getting stronger as the year goes along. And a lot of churches, they get to the summertime and they hit a summer slump. 
uh, we're hitting our summer stride. Amen. Uh, we're moving forward for the Lord, and I'm glad to see that. Isaiah 56. Um, let me let's jump into the into the text here this evening, uh, and uh, just a quick review. It, we didn't have services last week, so let me just refresh us quickly. It's been two weeks since we've been in this chapter. This passage, chapter 56, builds on uh, chapter 53. All right, chapter 53 is the chapter where we're given the prophecy of the crucifixion of the Messiah or the death of the Messiah. Uh, he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was laid upon him and by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. Chapter 53 lays out for us the, the death of Christ and the resurrection of the promised one or the Messiah or the Christ. We know that to have been fulfilled in Jesus. Chapter 54 is written to the Jews. As it pertains to the Messiah, what were the Jews supposed to do with his death and resurrection? Chapter 55, written to the Gentiles. Now, chapter 56 circles back around and is written first to the Jews and then works outward to the Gentiles, still built on this foundation of the crucifixion of Christ. Now, uh, uh, one day King Jesus will rule and reign from Jerusalem's throne and the Old Testament law that was built upon Jesus and His new covenant of grace will become the law of the land. So, Old Testament uh, uh, law, the foundation, Jesus comes along and He builds on top of that foundation a new covenant. Again, Matthew 5.17, Jesus said, Think not that I am come to destroy the law and the prophets. I'm not come to destroy the law, but to fulfill. And that's exactly what Jesus did. He took the law and he raised the standard. Someone said that grace requests a higher standard than the law requires. Grace requests a higher standard than the law requires. Um, the law says give a tithe. Grace says give an offering. The law says uh, don't commit adultery. Grace says don't look with lust. The law says don't murder. Grace says uh, don't even hate your brother in your heart. Uh, the Grace raises the standard. And one day when Jesus rules and reigns from Jerusalem on David's throne and He is uh, in charge of the world, a theocratic government in place, what we'll have are the laws of the Bible, the Old Testament and New Testament, they will become the laws of the land. Oh, what a day that will be. Now, if you look with me in chapter 56, we get a breakdown here by paragraph. And again, just to repeat what we said two weeks ago, but to get us all on the same page, um, uh, the Bible was not divided up into ver chapters and verses when it was originally written. That index system was added later for our usage of it. So, uh, however, there were paragraphs in the original writing of the Bible. And if you have paragraph markings in your Bible, you'll notice that verses 1 and 2 are its own paragraph. Verse 3 down through verse 8 is its own paragraph. And then verse 9 through 12 
is the third paragraph of the chapter. Now, in the first paragraph, uh, the Bible talks about our behavior as we await Christ's coming kingdom. The second paragraph, verses three through eight, uh, talk about all uh, talk about those who are invited to participate in the kingdom of God. And then the last paragraph, verses nine through twelve, talk about those who are poor leaders uh, as we await Christ's coming kingdom. So, uh, two weeks ago, we covered the first paragraph, the first two verses. Let's quickly look at that. We saw, number one, the integrity God desires. We said, first letter A, the responsibility that is given. Look with me at verse number one. The Bible says, thus saith the Lord. Here's the responsibility. Keep ye judgment and do justice, for my salvation is near to come and my uh, righteousness to be revealed. And verse 2, Blessed is the man that doeth this, and the son of man that layeth hold on it, that, here's another part of the responsibility, keepeth the Sabbath from polluting it, and keepeth his hand from doing any evil. So we talked about the attributes uh, of the responsibility, and we said that was to keep judgment and do justice. And then we talked about the actions of the responsibility, and we said that uh, there there were priorities laid out here. Keeping of the Sabbath day. We dove in to what all that means and how that pertains to us in the church era. You go back on YouTube or Facebook and find that uh, service. And then we looked at our purity as far as our actions go. And uh, we considered Galatians 6, 1 Thessalonians 5, as we talked about the importance of church because it is the place where we keep each other right and we keep our own hearts pure. And then we looked at letter B. We looked at the reward uh, guarantee. The reward that's guaranteed. Look back with me at verse 1. Thus saith the Lord, keep ye judgment and do justice. For my salvation is near to come and my righteousness to be revealed. And we talked about all of what that meant with the Babylonian captivity, the immediate fulfillment, how that salvation for them meant uh, the um, establishment of reestablishment of Jerusalem. We know Nehemiah built the wall. We know that Ezra led many people back into Israel and purified the country, getting rid of the uh, uh, the wives who were pagan in nature, who would not repent. And then uh, the reestablishment of Jerusalem, the salvation had come, the righteousness had been revealed. We know that uh, the uh, uh, fulfillment of that also meant uh, for humanity, that the salvation meant the coming of Christ and His death on the cross. But we also know that for the New Testament church, salvation means the rapture. And then for the tribulation saints and uh, for the persecuted, uh, that would be uh, the Jesus uh, coming uh, in the second coming of Christ. So again, just a quick recap. If any of that uh, doesn't make sense to you, I went into great detail two weeks ago. Pull that up and look at it. I'm really excited about what we're going to cover here uh, in point number two because what I'm about to preach is not preached in very many churches. In fact, you'll have to look long and hard to find this teaching anywhere. And I'm not inventing a new doctrine. I'm simply preaching something that churches used to preach a hundred years ago and by and large have stopped preaching. And it's right here in Isaiah 56, as well as in the New Testament. Let's get into it here. The invitation, number two, the invitation God extends. The invitation God extends. So, to lay the groundwork here, all right? Uh, If you lived during the time of um, Israel, where God was working primarily through Israel, from Abraham uh, to the church. Again, Sunday morning we talked about the first 2,000 years, God worked through the nations 
the second set of 2,000 years, God worked through Israel. And in the 2,000 years that we've lived in now, God has worked through the church. And so to go back in the time that Isaiah was written, 700 years or so before Christ uh, came, uh, this would have been near the middle of the time that God was working through Israel. So let's say you live outside of Israel. Let's say that you're a Gentile and you're living in another part of the world and you're not a Jew. So you're not really in the focal lens of God's focus. The question is, does God care about you? Is there a plan for you? Is there hope for you? And the answer is yes. God did care about those who lived outside of Israel and he loved them. Letter A, notice the invitation God extends. Letter A, to the stranger. To the stranger. Look at me at verse number 3, Isaiah 56. Neither let the son of the stranger, this is the Gentile, that hath joined himself to the Lord, speak, saying, The Lord hath utterly separated me from his people. Look down at verse 6. Also the sons of the stranger that joined themselves to the Lord to serve him and to love the name of the Lord, to be his servants, every one that keepeth the Sabbath day from polluting it and taketh hold of my covenant, even them will I bring to my holy mountains and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices shall be accepted upon mine altar, for mine house shall be called in house of prayer for, look at this, all people, all people. Now the Jews would make their temple exclusive only to the Jews, but understand this was never God's intention. God wanted his house to be open for all people to come. And one day when we get to that millennial kingdom, God's uh, uh, God's Temple will be open, the city of Jerusalem will be open to all people, Jew and Gentile alike, to the stranger. Take your Bibles over to 1 Kings chapter number 8. 1 Kings chapter number 8. And here we find Solomon dedicating the temple in a lengthy prayer. And I love studying the life of Solomon he is a fascinating person. How many of you understand that nobody is all good or all bad, that all of us are a combination of that? And we may come together and act like we all have it together, but the reality is if all of us were to see the other one on our worst days, uh, all of us would be sorely disappointed in that person. Amen? Uh, as a pastor, I get to see some of you on your worst days. And aren't you glad I know how to be quiet? Amen? I don't always share those things with other people. But the reality is if you saw me on my worst days, uh, you'd probably kick me out of here and not let me be your pastor anymore. Because I'm not always all that great either. And um, uh, Solomon here is not all good. He's not all bad. In fact, he had pendulum swings where he was uh, very good for the Lord. And then other times where he did things that were very evil uh, against the Lord. And here in 1 Kings 8, we find that he's just finished completing the building of uh, Israel's first temple, their most impressive temple of the two. And uh, this is a time where Solomon is a godly leader and a godly man. And he gathers the nation of Israel 
together for a grand dedication of this temple. And notice in this lengthy prayer of dedication that he prays, notice how that he extends an invitation to the stranger to be involved in the temple. Look at verse 41 of 1 Kings 8. Here we pick up right in the middle of his prayer of dedication. Moreover, Solomon says, concerning a stranger that is not of thy people Israel, but cometh out of a far country for thy name's sake, for they shall hear of thy great name, and of thy strong hand, and of thy stretched out arm, when he shall come and pray toward this house. Hear thou in heaven thy dwelling place, and do according to all the stranger calleth to thee, for that all people of the earth may know thy name, to fear thee, and as do thy people Israel, and that they may know that this house which I have builded is called by thy name. You see here that the temple was always supposed to be available for Jews and for Gentiles who were seeking the one true Yahweh, the one true God. It was to be available to everybody. Now, what did the Jews do? They sealed it off to Jews only, and they became very particular, as if to say, this is our place of worship. Get lost, find your own. I'm so glad we don't have that spirit at White Oak Baptist Church of this is our church, us four no more, get out of here, you're not welcome. No, that doesn't please the Lord. Both the, both the believer and the unbeliever were invited, uh, as long as the unbeliever came, uh, searching for truth, searching for truth. Uh, the Jews became a people who were very uh, exclusive, exclusive, and they pushed away anyone trying to come in from the outside, and Jesus had to battle against that uh, when he walked on earth. Turn over to John chapter 10. John chapter 10 and verse number 14. Now, we're going through John on Sunday evenings verse by verse. And this is a passage we just looked at just a handful of weeks ago. But here Jesus is debating, hotly debating, hotly disputing with uh, the the Jews and uh, the Pharisees. And uh, they're going to try to stone him at the end of his saying. And he says a lot of things to them that are incendiary and to them that make them angry. Uh, one of the things he says is that, hey, I'm not just the Savior of the Jews. I'm the Savior of the Gentiles. Look at how he words it in John 10. Look at verse 14. Jesus says here in a hostile environment to all those listening, including the Pharisees who would try to stone him, I am the good shepherd and know my sheep and have known of mine as the Lord, as the Father rather knoweth me, even so know I the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Look at 16. And other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, and they shall hear my voice, and there shall be one fold and one shepherd. So, uh, Jesus is saying here, I'm not only a shepherd of the lost sheep of Israel, I'm a shepherd of other sheepfolds that you Jews know nothing about. I can't wait till we get to heaven in every tribe and every nation and every tongue stands shoulder to shoulder and praise God. I can't wait till we get to the eternal kingdom and Jew and Gentile cease to matter and we're all one people in the eternal kingdom praising God forever 
and ever and ever. Hey, let me just ask you to begin at the end of the eternal kingdom and work backwards to you are to where you are right now. Do you know that when we get to the eternal kingdom, there will be zero emphasis on the nation you were born in, the color of your skin, or any of those things. There will be zero emphasis on it. You know where the emphasis is going to be in the eternal kingdom? It's going to be on all of us together worshiping and praising the name of Jesus. It won't matter if you're Jew. It won't matter if you're Gentile. It won't matter if you're white, red, yellow, uh, black. It won't matter. What will matter? It won't matter if you're born speaking English or Chinese. It won't matter if you're born speaking Hebrew. What will matter is that Jesus was your Savior and forever and ever and ever will praise the name of God, will worship together, will enjoy that eternal kingdom. Now, if that's how it's going to be then, why don't we go ahead and start behaving like that right now? Amen? Why don't we just go ahead and accept each other the way that we are now? You say, Pastor Lejeune, does racism exist in the U.S. of A. in 2023? I think the obvious answer to that question is yes, but it ought not exist at White Oak Baptist Church. And it ought not exist in the heart of someone who truly loves the Lord. Look, you ought to get to a place where you don't look at the world through the scope of color. You look at the world through the scope of God's blood and how He wants to save every man. We see here that the invitation is to the stranger. Now, let me make one application before we move on to letter B. Letter B is really where I want us to focus our attention tonight. If someone came walking in the back door of our church tonight, who would it be, how would they have to be to where you would feel uncomfortable about them being here? Is there a particular type of person that if they decided to attend our church, you'd say, oh, not them. I've seen really pretty women come walking in our church, and I've seen wives pull their husbands close to them. As if to say, don't you go shake her hand. Mm-mm-mm. All the single guys are like, oh. All right, hope she comes back. Pastor, you need someone to go make that follow-up visit for you? I'm available, right? I've seen people come into our church who look like that maybe they haven't had a bath in a couple weeks. Maybe there's a little bit of a, a stench to them. Maybe there's some marijuana on their, you know, on their breath or in their clothes. Uh, maybe they maybe they look like they've had a rough past. Can I remind all of us that this is to be a house of prayer for the redeemed, but it's also to be a place where people who are seeking for truth can come and find the truth? Now, my job as the shepherd is to make sure we don't let anybody in here who's going to be a danger or a harm. And I take that role very seriously. I have told more than one person to get lost on a Sunday morning who I felt was bad uh, news for our church. We have people in place who help make sure that you are safe while you're here. But don't you go, oh, well, that, don't, look, don't you ever look down your nose at someone who's searching for the truth and make them feel excluded. You know what we don't do? I've never seen this at our church where we're actually rude to someone. But what we can do is... Is, is withhold kindness from them. People who come to this church, the rougher they look, the more they should feel loved when they leave. 
I just attended a conference down in New Jersey. Let me tell you one of my takeaways. The Baptist movement as a whole is very middle class. Very middle class. And it's very white. It's very white and it's very middle class. Now, that's not the case in our church. And I believe the reason for that is because we have a bunch of middle class people in this area who are all kinds of colors of skin. But in a lot of America, it's middle class and it's white. And let me tell you, God did not just die for white middle class people. He died for everybody. And if you ever look at someone else, because they don't have the money you have, and they don't carry the handbag you carry, ladies, or they don't, you know, uh, uh, they don't know how to articulate their speech in a certain way, and you treat them like less, let me remind you, if Jesus was living in Stratford, Connecticut, He'd be spending a lot of time in the poor neighborhoods around here loving on people and helping people. And he'd have broken people around him, and he'd be helping them all the time. May you and I be like Christ. May the stranger always be welcomed at White Oak Baptist Church. The invitation God extends. You're going to get to heaven one day, and you're going to be very surprised who isn't there. You're going to be very surprised who is there. Letter B, we see not only to the stranger, but letter B, to the eunuch. To the eunuch. Look at verse number 3 with me. The Bible says, Neither let, Isaiah 56, Neither let the, the son of the stranger that hath joined himself to the Lord speak, saying, The Lord hath utterly separated me from the people. Now, here's an interesting set of verses. Look here. Neither let the eunuch say, Behold, I am a dry tree. Look at verse 4. For thus saith the Lord unto the eunuch that keepeth my Sabbaths, and choose the things that please me, and take hold of my covenant. Even unto them will I give in mine house, and within my walls a place and a name better than of sons and of daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. Wow! Now how come we are not more familiar with these verses? Let me do this. Look back with me at verse number 4. I'm going to substitute a word out. Alright? For thus saith the Lord unto the pastors that keep my Sabbaths, and choose the things that please me, and take hold of my covenant. Even unto them will I give in mine house, and hold my walls a place and a name better than sons of daughters. I will. Do you think if that verse said pastors instead of eunuchs, we would all be more familiar? I know we'd all be more familiar. Because anyone who wants to push people to be a pastor would say, look, there's a special reward for those who are pastors. But it doesn't say pastors, it says eunuchs. Now, I think everyone in here knows what a eunuch is, but just so, just in case you don't, a eunuch is someone who doesn't have children. It's someone who lives a celibate lifestyle for one reason or another. And uh, we see here that not only is the stranger invited, but the eunuch is invited. Turn over with me in your Bible, if you will, to Matthew chapter 19. In fact, I, I'm asking you, please, uh, even if you don't normally turn over, turn over to Matthew 19. I want everyone to see these verses. Matthew 19 
10, 11, and 12. Matthew 19, 10, 11, and 12. And I'm going to share something tonight that is um, not taught much, but is right there in the teachings of Christ. Look at verse number 10. Matthew chapter 19, verse 10. I've got to move quickly here. We've got about 10 minutes. The Bible says, His disciples... And by the way, the, the, verses leading up to this, uh, Jesus says that it's better for you to... Uh, not get a divorce. God's intent was never divorce. God's intent is one man and one woman for life, and uh, uh, and divorce was never God's will. He gave you that out of the uh, because of the uh, gave that to Moses because of the hardness of your hearts. The disciples turn around and ask Jesus, "Well, then, well, then, should we get married?" And 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 Jesus answers that. So look at verse number number ten. His disciples say to him, "If the case of the man be so with his wife, it is not good to marry." But he, Jesus said unto them, All men cannot receive this saying, save them to whom it is given. Look at verse 12. For there are some eunuchs which were so born from their mother's womb, and there are some eunuchs which were made eunuchs of men, and there are eunuchs which have made themselves eunuchs for the kingdom of heaven's sake. He that is able to receive it let him receive it. Now, up until about three or four years ago, I had never studied this verse. I had never heard a sermon preached out of this verse. I had never read a book on, out of this verse. I've now done a lot of studying on biblical eunuchs and come to some pretty fascinating conclusions. Jesus tells us not everyone's going to be able to understand this. And Jesus tells us that, for, that this is only for a handful of people to understand on a very deep level. There are three types of eunuchs Jesus mentions in this verse. Look back at verse 12 with me. There are some eunuchs which were so born from their mother's womb. These would be, and we're going to talk about this in detail in just a moment. These are people who are born as biblical eunuchs. They're born with no sexual desire. None. They're asexual, non-sexual. Don't take it from my mouth. Take it from the mouths of Jesus, mouth of Jesus. It goes on and says, so that's category one. Category two, which were made eunuchs of men, so men who were turned into eunuchs through some sort of surgical process, and there be eunuchs which have made themselves eunuchs. So let's break down these three types here. And uh, let's look at this here. So let's first talk about eunuchs that are made of men. Uh, 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 let me give you some biblical examples of all three of these, all right? Bil uh, eunuchs that are made of men. Now, to my knowledge, we don't have in any individual where we know for certain they were turned into a eunuch, but we can assume uh, through uh, uh, some biblical uh, uh, inference that Daniel and the three Hebrew boys were probably made eunuchs. Look with me at 2 Kings chapter 20. 2 Kings chapter 20. It's a Bible study. I hope you came ready to use your Bible tonight. Don't let it just sit in your lap. Don't be lazy. Amen. Turn in your Bibles. Get them out. Use them. The Word of God is quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, so don't let it sit in your lap unused. 2 Kings chapter 20. Look at verse number 16. Here we have uh, Hezekiah speaking with, um, or rather Isaiah speaking with Hezekiah, uh, before Hezekiah passes away. 2 Kings 20, verse number 16. And Isaiah said unto Hezekiah, Hear the word of the Lord. Behold, the days come that all that is in thine house 
and that which thy fathers have laid up in store unto this day shall be carried into Babylon. Nothing shall be left, saith the Lord. And of thy sons that shall issue from thee, which thou shalt beget, beget, shall they take away, and they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. Where did Daniel and the three Hebrew boys serve? They served in the palace of the king of Babylon. So if Isaiah's prophecy came true, which we believe it did, then Daniel and the three Hebrew boys, along with all the other guys that were taken, would have been turned into eunuchs, eunuchs made of men. They would have been uh, uh, fixed in a way where they could not procreate or reproduce. So we see here eunuchs made of man. There's a biblical example of that. And usually when people think of eunuchs, that's what they think of. They think of someone who's been uh, 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 treated in this way. But that's not the only classification. Back in Matthew chapter number 19, uh, Jesus said that there would be those who choose to be celibate. They choose to be a eunuch um, for the cause of the Lord. Turn over with me to 1 Corinthians chapter number 7. The biblical example we have here of those who make a personal choice to be a eunuch is the Apostle Paul. Paul set aside his uh, ability to have sexual relations for the purpose of the ministry. Paul set aside his his uh, desire to be with a woman and set that to the side and said, I'm not going to focus on women. Instead, I'm going to give my whole life for the cause of Christ. And I'm going to give this to the Lord. He said, now, not everyone will be able to do that. And if you're going to burn in your lust, then get married. But uh, look, at, look with me at 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and look at verse number 6. He says here, but I speak this by permission and not of commandment. I think that must have been an interesting conversation that uh, Paul had with the Holy Spirit where he said, can I, can I insert something here? The Holy Spirit said, you can, but make sure you tell them it's not from me, it's from you. Okay? Verse 7, for I would that all men were even as I, as I myself, that every man hath his proper gift of God, one after this manner and another after that, I say, therefore, to the unmarried and widows, it is good for them if they abide even as I, sexually celibate. Verse 9, but if they cannot contain, let them marry, for it is better to marry than to burn. He's saying here, listen, I'm not telling that you that this is from the Lord, but this is from me. He said, I would rather that you just, if you don't have to get married, don't get married. If you're not so burned up with sexual uh, desire, then stay single and give your whole life for the kingdom of God. Give your whole life to the church. Give your whole life for the building of God's kingdom. Uh, be a eunuch uh, by personal choice and, and be all in for the Lord. Be sexually celibate. So there are those who take that route. But then there's a third classification given to us in Matthew 19. And these are those who are born eunuchs. They're born with no sexual desire. Alright, I'm not going to take you to any passage here. But listen to me as I give you some biblical examples here. We know that Jesus would have been a biblical eunuch. Jesus did not have a wife. Jesus did not get married. Jesus did not seem to have any sexual desire. Jesus was born for the purpose of redeeming mankind on the cross and then ascending up to heaven. So Jesus, if you want to be like Christ and you're born that way, hey, you're born just like the Lord Jesus. Here's another possible example 
And, uh, and, and I will admit up front that this is a uh, circumstantial case, all right? But let me make it for you. It is likely that John the Apostle was born a eunuch, all right? Hear me out on this. John the Apostle was highly emotional. Remember where he was called a son of thunder? He was called a son of thunder because he wanted to call lightning down to strike people who were serving the Lord outside of his camp. And he was all worked up about it. He was so worked up about it. And so here you have a man who's more in touch with his emotional side than his logical side. He's highly emotional. Uh, Here's yet another example. We know that John was very nurturing. He was the disciple, describes himself in his apostle as the disciple whom Jesus loved. He, was, he had seemed to have a, a deeper, more intimate connection with Jesus. Here's another thought. Um, he laid his head on Jesus' breast at the Last Supper. Now, that's a very, very close relationship that John had with Jesus. And I'm wondering if any of the rest of the guys are looking at him thinking, what is, what is he doing? What is going on here? But do you see that John maybe had a more nurturing side to him than a rough, rugged lumberjack who, you know, can, uh, can, can chop down tre- trees with his teeth and smoke a cigarette and punch a cow between the eyes. I mean, he's not a John Wayne. He, 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 he's a tender soul uh, with a tender heart describing himself as the one whom Jesus loved, laying his head on the breast of Jesus. And he, he was the only male disciple at the cross Who is he next to? He's next to Mary and the other Mary. And he's standing there with them, uh, standing there with the other ladies. All the other disciples are in hiding. There John is nurturing the Lord and making sure that he's there to support him. And uh, his his church epistles, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, uh, he uses the word love and children more than any of the other epistles in their writing. He keeps talking about love and love and love. And my little children, my little children. You see the nurturing nature of John the Apostle here. Um, There is no historical evidence that he ever married, while there is historical evidence that most of the other disciples married. Uh, John was the only disciple... To die in his old age, all the rest of them died a martyr's death. Now, with that in mind, go back to Isaiah chapter 56 and look with me at verse number 4. And we see here that God has a special relationship with those who are born eunuchs. Look at verse 4. For thus saith the Lord unto the eunuchs that keep my Sabbaths. That just means the eunuchs that... Uh, to to make the keep the Sabbath's uh, application for today, uh, those who look after the work of the Lord at the house of the Lord and choose the things that please me. You see John there choosing the things that pleases the Lord and take hold of my covenant. Even unto them will I give in mine own house and within my walls a place and a name better than of sons and daughters. And I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. John seemed to have a more intimate, endearing relationship with Jesus than all the rest of the disciples. Now, let me just make some uh, some st- some comments here, and then uh, we'll uh, we'll shut it down tonight, and we'll look at point three next week. Um, I think Christian churches put marriage on too high of a platform. Too high of a platform. Um, 
Listen to me, church. God did not make everyone to get married. He made some people to stay single. And they don't need to be ramrodded. Let me tell you what happens in Baptist churches. I know because I am a Baptist from the cradle all the way up to the age I am here now. If you get someone in your church who's 21, 22, 25 and up, it's, when are you going to get married? Hey, I, let me set you up. Oh, I know someone over here. Oh, when you... Ha, man, man, your, your clock's ticking. When, when are you going to make it happen? And you know what that does? That makes them feel extremely uncomfortable and it pushes them out of church. We go way, way back two and a half years ago to our study of Song of Solomon where, where the, 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 the girl in the chapter, the Shulamite girl, tells the harem and tells Solomon, don't stir up love. Don't stir up love. Don't stir up love. Hey, we need to stop matchmaking. And, and, and we, need to let, we need to let these things take place on their own. Maybe that person that you're pushing to date and get married and you continue to ask and press and prod, maybe God didn't make them to get married. Maybe God wants them to stay single so that they can have a deeper relationship with Him that you can't have. Did you ever stop and consider that maybe uh, this person, this male, who's a little bit more soft in his nature, maybe he's not effeminate, maybe he just has a deep love for God, and God gave him a nurturing spirit because God has a, a specific purpose and plan for his life. And I think if we quit pushing on these people... We'll quit shoving them out of our church. And do you know who's sweeping up biblical eunuchs into their movement and perverting them? The homosexual crowd. They're saying to them, well, if you don't like the opposite gender, then you must like the same gender. So come on over here. We can relate with you and we can help you. You know what? You were born gay. Well, maybe they weren't born gay. Maybe they were born to stay single for the rest of their life and thoroughly love the Lord. Now, if you're single here tonight, we have a handful of you in here that are single, you know whether or not you have sexual desires toward the opposite gender. And if you do, then you're not born a biblical eunuch, but you still need to stay celibate, and you need to wait for God to bring the right person along your path. But if you're here tonight and you think, you know what, Pastor Lejeune, that's exactly where I am. I just don't have a desire toward the opposite gender, and I've always felt funny, and I felt like maybe something was wrong. My friend, no. God has an open invitation for you to have a very special place in His kingdom where He's going to give you, make you, He's going to write your name down in the foundation of heaven. He's got a very special uh, intent for you here and you just need to cling to the Lord and get involved in church and serve Him with your whole heart. Boy, I know that's not popular, but boy, it sure is right there in the teachings of Jesus in Matthew chapter 19. And I think tonight we would be wise to be very careful how we talk to single people and, and how, we ever, how, we, how we push them. And so there's some thoughts for you this evening. The invitation is, is, is extended. The invitation is open. Boy, it does not matter your wealth class. It doesn't matter your color. It doesn't matter what nation you were born in. The, the invitation is open for all to come. It doesn't matter whether you're married or you're single. It doesn't matter if you're widowed or, or divorced. God opens the door for all who will believe in Him to be saved. Alright? Amen. Well, let's stand together. We'll be dismissed with a word of prayer. I'll be around after the service. If you want to ask more questions about this or talk about it in greater depth, boy, I sure would like to chat with you.
but uh, I hope that uh, the service this evening has been an encouragement to you. Let's go forth and let's serve Jesus this week. Amen? And let's keep Him first in our thoughts and in our lives. Let's pray. Lord, thank You tonight for the Bible. Thank You that it is uh, relevant to all of us. Thank You that it is relevant through all periods of time because truth doesn't change and Your Word is truth. And we get to enjoy it and understand it. And Lord God, help us to take it and uh, put it into practice in our day-to-day lives. May we look for the strangers around who maybe society rejects and wants nothing to do with. And may we extend your love and may we extend your grace. May we look for those who maybe are the outcasts of society and say, uh, we have a church and we have a Bible who uh, wants to show you the love of Jesus. And Lord God, may others see your love in us and through us. Bless us as we go home. And Lord God, help us to keep you first in our day-to-day affairs. Lord God, help us to submit our itineraries for your approval, our, our, our destinations, our thoughts, our speech. Lord, may our tongues be in line with the Word of God the rest of the week. And Lord God, give us a spirit that is pleasing to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. Have a good night. We'll see you soon.